0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I know that's just a tease. Probably a lot of people are saying, what are you doing? Why are you ringing that bell? Um, that was what was going on inside me. um, but we we have a bunch of things to do, so maybe we can go in and out of different kinds of practice. Uh, that's what I want to do uh, for my section this afternoon. <coughs> just seeing different ways to um, <coughs> to work with hard stuff. and then uh, then Rick, uh, Dr. Rick over here, get into some of the uh, some stuff around his expertise, knowing how the brain works and how to take care of people who are going through stuff like that. <clears throat> and then Rick Hansen will go on to his piece. But what I wanted to do um, is uh, just see how the practice can be used for working with some difficult stuff. Hmm. Uh, And the first practice that I want to um, have us look at together, perhaps many are are quite familiar with it, which is uh, working with the emotions that come up. How many people are familiar with the uh, the rain process? Rain acronym? I just oh okay. Well, then I'm really glad that I'm doing it. Uh, <clears throat> mindfulness is is the key to not being confused, and mindfulness can be directly applied to the second art those things that come up, our reactions to our particular situation. It's the reactions that are where the real suffering comes from. And <clears throat> the more we can be clear about the reactions instead of getting lost in them, then the greater um, the greater the space is, the greater the clarity, and you're not compounding the problem. You're not adding on a third or a fourth or... a A 50th dart. So one of the most important aspects in working with hard stuff is uh, working with the emotions that come up. And there's a very um, simple acronym uh, method that is really how you apply mindfulness to difficult emotions with the word uh, RAIN, R-A-I-N and I want to share it with you. I'll explain a little bit and then uh, have us go through that together. And uh, let's see, how much time do I have in my section? Until 2.30, 2.35. So, um, and, and share a few other techniques too. When you have a difficult emotion, there are a few things that are usually going on. One is a story about what's going on, oh, I can't believe I'm here again, or why has this happened to me, or uh, why did he do, etc. Whatever it is, there's a story. Along with the story, there's a, a feeling, a kind of mental atmosphere in the mind. It might be tight, it might be agitated, it might be heavy, it might be dark or swirling around. It might be light, it might be expansive. There's, of course, lots of beautiful uh, emotions as well. Every emotion has a mental concomitant um, that goes along with the story. And then there's a physical um, component to it as well. You might feel a tightness in your jaw, or a, a clenching in your throat, or a contraction in your heart, or butterflies in your stomach, all of those things. Usually, when we get caught in an emotion, where do you think we are hanging out? Anybody have an idea? Hmm? In the story. And you keep on replaying that story. Oh, I'm such a whatever, or he is such a, or life is such a. Um, And it just keeps on spinning the wheels. If you can move from the story to the direct experience of the emotion, of the feeling, with mindfulness, then you are uh, unhooking yourself from the perpetuating of that cycle. And the, uh, that method of RAIN is the way to do it, or is one suggested way to do it. The word uh, stands for recognize, allow, or accept. I like allow. Investigate, and non-identify. Okay, so what do I mean by that? The first thing you do is you recognize what is here. And uh, on a neuroscience level, See, I do know a little bit of neuroscience. At least I've researched a little. Here's a, a, a study. Researchers in the Brain Mapping Center at UCLA School of Medicine made a significant discovery about the value of using words to label fearful circumstances. When subjects in an experiment were shown faces with expressions of anger or fear... The fear centers in their brains showed increased blood flow, indicating that their own fight-flight responses were being stimulated. However, when the subjects were asked to choose a word to describe the facial expressions of anger or fear, the blood flow to the fear centers diminished. Additionally, parts of the prefrontal cortex, brain area that regulates emotions, showed increased blood flow. The researchers conclude that the activity of labeling, which takes place in the higher regions of the brain, can regulate emotional responses, helping you to feel calmer." When you name something, it's like uh, in in mythology, you know, if the hero or the heroine doesn't know the name of the demon, it has tremendous power over, over them. But as soon as they find out the name, like (coughs) Rumpelstiltskin, but it's many, many mythology uh, uh, myths that have this, then the the, the monster loses its power. It's like that. And mindfulness, naming what you're experiencing. Oh, this is fear. Oh, this is confusion or sadness or anger. That in itself is bringing awareness to the experience and the awareness of fear is not afraid. The awareness can hold anything. So first to recognize what am I feeling right now? The next, and we'll go through this in a moment, the next aspect is allow. To allow it to be here. The thing that gets in the way is trying to bargain or Um, or battle what is here right now. And the more you try to push something away, what happens? If I say to you, don't think about a pink elephant right now. Get it out of your head. Is it still there? Try harder. Get it out. (laughs) What happens? It's the only thing in your consciousness, right? The more you try to push something away away, the more life you give it. So that doesn't work. But when you allow it to be here, when you say, okay, this is here, let's look at it. This is a chance to become familiar in a wiser way with an old companion. That shifts your relationship to it. So you're not feeding that layer, that the, the experience with a, a layer of aversion on top of things. So you allow it just for a little while. It's not like you've got to be in there until you slay a dragon. Just for a little manageable chunk of time. Okay, for the next minute or half minute, let's just really feel this. The I investigate is exploring the landscape of that emotion. Investigate doesn't mean analyze. As soon as you start to, if you ask why, why am I feeling this? Watch out. Why is a very dangerous word in meditation because it gets you into a whole kind of figuring out mode and it's just deeper spinning of your wheels. But in the investigation that says, oh, How does this feel? What's the direct experience of feeling it? That in itself is very profound because you can't be trying to get rid of something while you're exploring it. Saying, come here, let's look at you. I want to see. You can't work against yourself. Oh, well, if I... Let's see, but let's get it go away. Uh, you can, and you can't trick it either. You can't say, aha, if I watch it, then it'll go away. It knows. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fool it. So it means a genuine exploring, what does this feel like? And the non-identify, non-identification is just a, a fancy word that means not taking it personally. When you have fear... You might think that it is unique to you, but we all know what fear is like. We all know what sadness is like. We all know what confusion is like. And when you're exploring it, getting a sense that you're exploring the human experience of fear, of sadness, of confusion, of love, of joy, of whatever, and that non-identification keeps you from spinning your wheels and thinking, oh, I'm such a frightened person, I'm such a sad person. It's just what's happening in this moment. It's like, oh, here's sad Buddha right now. Here's frightened Buddha right now. And so that not taking it personally makes all the difference in the world because it means you're just seeing that part of the human experience. Okay? So now I'd like, you to, I'd like to take you through this um, so it's, a, it's a, an experiential um, understanding. So close your eyes for a moment, and this will just take a couple of minutes, <clears throat> and you might bring to mind some issue or situation or perhaps what you came here for, what motivated you if there was a particular uh, difficulty that made you want to come to the day. And allow yourself to feel this whole constellation of feelings. If you like, you can have an image in your mind to activate it more. But Just let yourself feel what normally you don't want to feel. And as you get in touch with the feeling with the emotion first recognize what is it that you're feeling just name it in a very accurate neutral way this is what it is like naming the demon And next, allow it to be here. Just give permission for, oh, the next minute or so for it to be here without trying to get rid of it. No agenda. This is your chance to become familiar in a wiser way with it. So just mentally give it permission to be here. Okay, this is what's here. And as you do, investigate, bring an interest. It's another w- way to say I. Notice the landscape of this feeling. Where do you feel it? You might feel it more in your belly or your chest or your throat or just notice. Where, how big an area is it? Is it like a golf ball, ball or a beach ball or a big cylinder? or Just notice. What's going on inside? What are the sensations like? Tight, heavy? buzzing around, intense, less intense, just notice, do they stay just the same or do they subtly change one moment after another? You might, for a few moments, feel what it's like in the mind. Not the story, but just feel the whole mental atmosphere. Is it dark? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it open? Whatever it is, is fine. Just let it be here. And let yourself feel it for a moment. And as you do, realize that this is just part of being human. Understand that reality. It doesn't have to define you. You're just exploring this emotion as part of the human experience. And let yourself feel it again. might come back to the physical level. Might be like it was or might have changed. Whatever is okay. It's just what's here. Okay, now come back to feeling yourself sitting here and breathing, and get grounded in that. Sitting, breathing, alive. Very gently, you can open your eyes. <coughs> so <coughs> if you could feel it somewhere in your body, just uh, a show of hands, I'm curious, okay. So um, <coughs> what was that like, anybody, any? how many people could feel it and um that it, it wasn't it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't overwhelming. Okay. So here's the thing, we, we usually think, oh, this is gonna be overwhelming. If I go here and let myself feel it, it'll be too much. But um, it's really okay for a little little chunk of time. Any any comments or questions that might have come up from that? Okay, well, good. That's a suggested way to work with emotions anytime. And you don't have to do it for a long time because you might think, oh, this is going to be too much. You know, there'll be no end to this. Just take it in a manageable chunk of time. Okay, for the next minute, let's feel this. And little by little, you see each, each time you do that, that you have a capacity to feel the hard stuff. Running away, you will. your mind follows you wherever you go. But saying, okay, let's be with this, and there's a, a different relationship that you start to form. So that's the first suggested mindful approach. Now, it's true, as was said before, that sometimes... It's hard to stay with things, they get activated, and there you are in the stew. And you're it, it might be a bit too much to go there. The Buddha did not say stay with everything because it's predominant. You know, sometimes the instructions are be with what's most predominant in your experience. No, the this this is not so. Sometimes, if going there is a Mm -hmm. bit too much, then it's not helpful to go there. You want to go there when you have enough energy or intention or brightness to say, okay, let's check it out. But another suggestion that the Buddha gave, in one discourse he he talks about a number of different methods for dealing with distracting thoughts. And one of these methods is what is known as forgetfulness and inattention. Isn't that interesting? The Buddha talking about forgetfulness and inattention. He says this can be a very healthy thing because, and if you've ever done any any meditation on retreat, you might know, say you're dealing with physical pain. And if you have the idea I'm supposed to be with this physical pain, if it's a continuous pain, your mind can get tired after not too long a time. And when it gets tired, withered is the word that's used in the teachings. When your mind starts to wither, it can get confused and then get contracted and then jump on the train and you, you, you're ta- you've taken off. And so he says, when it's too much turn your attention elsewhere. Just like if you're meditating and there's an an ache in your shoulder, instead of staying with it, you might open up and just listen to sounds for a little while. Or you might feel your breath. Or you might pay attention to some place in your body where there is no pain, where it's neutral. And in the same way, When you've got a strong emotion in your daily life, you don't have to stay there. You might just turn your attention elsewhere, see what's actually going on in your field of experience. You might notice your surroundings. You might open up to a different sense door and notice, oh, this is what's happening here right now. It's like you're changing the channel, not in denial, but just as a skillful means to take a break from the intensity of it. And it's another moment of mindfulness, which is very balancing and connecting. You probably do this in your daily life when you're really having a hard time. Anything uh, anyone can think of where they take a break and they get a a little bit of, of a refresher? What, what do you do, anybody? Exercise. Exercise. Excellent. Okay. Get out of your head by getting into your body. Uh-huh. And you're just there with the exercise. Anything else? Pet my dog. Was it? Pet my dog. Pet your dog. One of the best. Okay. There you are. There's nothing like getting down for me when... When my dog was still alive, he passed away last year. Just getting down there and putting my face in his belly and just, mm, okay, a visceral, immediate experience of unconditional love. What else? Go sailing. Go sailing. Wow, cool. I'll go with you. (laughs) Play a musical instrument. Yeah, play some music, singing. Play a musical instrument. Some way to let the life force move through you. Dancing. Dancing, yes. Beautiful. What else? What is it? Gratitude. Gratitude, yeah. Turning your attention to what's good in your life. Beautiful. Going into nature. Going into nature. Connecting with nature. Really a powerful way to ground yourself from and getting out of your story. Beautiful. Anything else? What is it? Art. H- art. Art? Is that art or heart? Well, both. <laughs> both. Art. Heart, art, heart. Yeah, heart, heart. Yeah, to express yourself creatively and also getting into your heart is another thing I want to do in a moment. Yeah, in the back. I pray and I pray to control my mind so that I can not suffer from what I'm suffering Okay, praying is very skillful. And that's actually a, a variation of what I want to do next. To, to align your mind with something that's positive instead of the, the, the spinning of the story when you pray or whatever works for you, uh, like a meta uh, meditation, may I be happy or may I be peaceful, is another uh, variation of that where you're aligning yourself with the positive energies in life. One, one more hand. Yeah. Ah, creating through cooking or baking. Yeah. He'll have a lot of friends. Yeah. Laughter. laughter. Okay. Yeah, you probably know Norman Cousins' uh, uh, whole exploration of the healing power of laughter. He just he was healing from, I think it was cancer, and just watched Groucho Marx, uh, Marx Brothers movies. And he got better and better, and there's the whole uh, field now of of healthy um, health of the healing power of laughter. So that's very skillful. You don't have to stay with the dukkha all the time. Another, uh, another um, practice that I wanted to share is... Uh, as, as this woman said, about aligning yourself with positive energy. And here's, here's something I, I, I like to um, share with people and offer to you. The hard part when you're really having a hard time is you feel so alone, isn't that so? Like nobody really can understand or connect with what's going on inside. And praying, reaching out, is, your, is a way of feeling a connection with life. Here's a, a slight variation on meta practice and um, aligning with positive energies. Just close your eyes for a moment. And from your own sincerity of heart, Call on all the benevolent forces of life, however you conceive, whether you think of it as the Dharma or God or Devas or life or nature. Seeing something beyond yourself, call on all the benevolence of life to support you. And if you can envision a field of benevolence responding to your call, surrounding yourself with supportive energy, if this field had a color, what color would you imagine it to be? If you can get in touch with that, let yourself be held in that benevolent field. Feel its support, its protection. Realize you don't have to do this all by yourself. Life is here to support you if you invite it. And for just a few moments, let yourself relax and be held in that. If you can access that at all, just realize that it's here for you anytime you remember. You can call on life to support you. You might envision this benevolent field with whatever color you're connected with. And when the bell rings. Even when you open your eyes, stay connected with it. It's here for you. you get a, a glimpse of that? It's amazing. The mind can create heaven or hell. And most people don't realize that there's a choice. That's, that's the gift of, of practice, of understanding how the mind works, that we can consciously incline our mind one way or another. And with practice, more and more have access to a particular channel. One of my favorite lines, it's really the the basis of of that, that joy course, is this teaching the Buddha says, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. Pretty straightforward. And it's true. If you keep on pondering upon how life has been unfair to you, or how everybody around is a jerk, you'll get ample evidence to confirm that one. And if you frequently think and ponder upon how um, there's possibilities here, that there's also many blessings in life, that you don't want to miss the goodness and the well-being and you look out for it, you'll start to see it. So... um, just to incline your mind, and particularly, you can incline it towards feeling the support of whatever forces, as you conceive, are here to um, to aid you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now, um, one further practice, and that is the equanimity practice. <clears throat> so, we talked a bit about. The compassion, about feeling compassion for yourself is very, very important. And feeling compassion for others. I know there's a number of caregivers here. So, and some, somebody came up on the break and, um, and asked about this. It's, it's so easy for um, the heart to be overwhelmed when we open up to the, the pain and the suffering when we see it in somebody else or when we see what we're going through and we really open up to it. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. Compassion is an incredibly, it's a sublime state. It's one of the divine abodes. When we can open up to the suffering or the sorrow, it elicits a caring of the heart that is quite extraordinary, that we have this capacity to care. I care about you. I care about myself. But it's easy to get overwhelmed with that caring. And so compassion has to be held with equanimity, which is another one of the divine abodes. Equanimity doesn't mean disconnection or indifference. It means, okay, this is how it is. It means a kind of understanding that is not trying to fix or change, but is just with things the way they are. Things are the way they are. Whereas <clears throat> Ajahn Sumedho, this, this uh, wonderful Theravadan teacher monk, says, it's like this. That's the essence of the equanimity practice. It's like this. Yeah, you wish it were different, and it's like this. And the more you wish it were different, if you, don't, if you can't change things, the more you get stuck. You know, like in that serenity prayer, grant me the courage to change the things I can, the serenity to accept the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. When you can't change things, then the equanimity practice is is the way to hold it all. This is how things are. And when you're with somebody who's really having a hard time, your equanimity, your centeredness is the greatest gift. As you just uh, think about about it, I was saying this to somebody uh, who came up in the break. Suppose you're having a really hard time and a dear friend who loves you says, "Oh." This is so terrible. What are we going to do about it? This is awful. It's killing me to see you suffer like that. And you can feel they're caring. Right? But then you've got to take care of them, right? It, that's not soothing. That's not helpful. But if somebody is there and says, wow, I, I just want you to know how much I care. It must be so hard. You know, maybe I can't even imagine but I really want you to know I care. And they're not trying to fix you, but they're just there with a caring, centered heart. That is the healing environment, just to feel that connection. The equanimity practice is one that you can do for yourself as well. And basically it's saying, this is how things are. This is, if it's about you, this is my lesson for me to somehow wake up in this lifetime. Or this is your life. I honor your journey. wherever. I wish I could take your suffering away, but I can't. And so I just honor where you are. So let's do a little bit of equanimity practice. Okay. Equanimity is kind of, is understanding that there is just an unfolding of causes and conditions that are mostly out of our control. So first get in touch with whatever the situation is that um, that's a challenge for you. And feel the, the compassion, if it's available, that just cares, is trying to do the best you can or knows that they're trying to do the best they can and feel your caring I care about the suffering and now hold that caring with equanimity that says and this is the way things are This is how it is. Letting go of trying to change. Letting go of what was. To see what's here right now. See if it's possible to get in touch with the place that simply acknowledges the truth and lets go of the agenda. May I accept things as they are. For a moment, see what it's like to release the agenda and allow for life to be just as it is. Things are the way they are. So just anything uh, about what's been said so far. We'll take a break in a, in a, we'll take a, break in a moment. We're going to do Rick's part and then take a break. Oh, yeah. Then we're going to do Rick's part and then, then take a break. But just any, any, uh, anything that, that came up from any of those. I'm a mother of a 12-year-old who is has a lot of emotional problems, so I'm watching him a lot, you know, go, going through. And he's very verbal, so he's also very accusatory because anything that he's feeling doesn't, I is my fault. <clears throat> I know where you're going know this one. Yeah. So I need equanimity for me, and then there's also this challenge of how do I help him and. That's where my agenda gets triggered right there, um, and I wondered if you had any comments about that. How do you help him with um, how do you help him go through his difficulties? <clears throat> well, probably the the more centered you are, the more you're you're going to be a resource for him. Uh, my, my son is now, my younger son is 23. And uh, while he was going through the teen years, I just kind of prayed that he'd navigate it. And at some point, uh, I knew he wasn't self destructive, which made a big difference. And if, the, if there is that, if that's what's, that's what's going on, there's a whole other uh, level to it where you, you need some extra support. Um, but partly, it's for me. It's look. At, it was looking for everything that he did that I could respect, and keep on pointing out. Oh, I really respect that, or I really appreciate that, and just focusing on what you do see in him, the positives that you do see in him. Because otherwise, it can easily you know, devolve into into battles, um, and as, as he was growing up, there was more and more, I, I remembered Michael Riera, who, who wrote this really great book, I recommend Uncommon Sense for uh, Parents of Teenagers. I think we have it in the bookstore. Uh, he said, at some point, shifting from being a manager to a consultant as your teenager grows up, where, where you're an advisor but you're not controlling him, <coughs> And as much as, as possible, um, finding your own balance and realizing he's going to make his own mistakes. Um, and to, to be there as a resource for him. But there's no simple answer. N- navigating through, through teenage years is um, it's a trip. But finding your own centeredness in the middle of it. Actually, uh, one equanimity. Story. I did an uh, equanimity meditation um, at at IMS for a number for a number of weeks, and uh, no, it's for one week. And you, the equanimity practice is: uh, you are the heir to your karma. Your happiness or unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. That's the full equanimity saying, and that's... Mm-hmm. It's pretty powerful. Uh, you know, it seems a little cool, but it's the truth. I don't have control over what's going to happen to him. And everybody, I was, I was saying it, different people came into my, my mind's eye. My wife, my friends, each person. And I was telling the news, your heir to your karma, your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions and I'm going to worship for you. And then my son, Adam, came. And he was 10 years old at the time. And I had what I call my clockwork orange sitting. If you ever saw that movie, they deprogram this guy, you know, they pro- re- reprogram him. And I went through every horrible image that a parent of a, of a child could have, from you know, drug addiction, to accident, to disease. To, and each one was like, oh, 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 oh. It was awful. It went on for about an hour, actually an hour and a quarter. And each time it was just, oh, oh, oh. And after a while, it was like, oh, there's no way that I'm going to protect him from everything, that I'm going to keep him from suffering. I can do what I can, but at some point, he is on his journey. And it was a radical shift in my in my uh, parenting with him, because it wasn't that, you know, oh my God, what's going to happen next, and uh, and being on his case. It's, okay, I'm here for you, and uh, you're going to lead your life. So equanimity practice for yourself is as important as your relationship with him. Okay, uh, I think we, we, we actually need to, to move on. Um, I just want to uh, say one last thing, and that is when you're going through your own suffering, one other helpful attitude is you're not just doing it for yourself, but the more you can go through what you go through and learn to be with it, it is, it's part of your bodhisattva training Because you can be there for people who are going through what you're going through in a very profound way. So consider that, that this is something that you're doing, if you're able to see in that perspective. It's hard when you're in the middle of it for yourself. But when I'm going through a hard time, every now and then I think, wow, okay, whatever I'm learning, may I be there for people who are going through this and realize you are not alone, because whatever you're going through, people have gone through before, and a basic practice is connecting with all the people in the world who are going through what you're going through, so you don't feel so isolated and, and um, alone. So later on, we'll have more time for questions uh, at the end of the day. And right now, I'll just pass it over. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening.